This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 37. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, witnesses for whom your examination might be best left for trial. All right, I just got out of my first in-person jury trial since March 2020, when COVID began shutting down courtrooms nationwide. And I wanted to share a strategy that I used in this trial that worked with great success. Specifically, I opted not to depose two key witnesses that had limited roles and limited knowledge. They clearly were key witnesses because one was a decision maker in the firing of my client and the other was the person that replaced my client after her termination. So both witnesses had very specific, very discreet roles in the case and I expected both of them to come in prepared to give the jury headline style testimony. In other words, I expected both of them to have fully prepared, bottom-line style answers that would benefit my opponent, but I also predicted, correctly as it turns out, that neither witness would be ready for a more detailed examination to which they had not been previously exposed. Now, this strategy works best with important witnesses, but who had very limited roles and so are vulnerable to cross-examination because of their limited knowledge. In my case, I represented an employee in a retaliation case against a large state agency. My client had previously sued the agency while she was an employee and had alleged that male employees in equivalent positions, even in lesser positions, were being paid more than she was. She was fired not long after that original lawsuit ended. So the firing seemed clearly retaliatory and that was the case that went to the jury, a single count alleging retaliation under Title VII and the Federal Equal Pay Act. In this case, there were two key witnesses I decided not to depose. One was the head of the entire statewide agency. The other was a senior official who replaced my client after she was terminated. I decided not to depose the head of the agency because while he was one of two decision makers in the firing, uh, his role beyond the actual decision was very limited. So I knew what he would say in a deposition, but I also knew that he simply would not have had a role in the day-to-day events that led up to the termination decision. So my sense was that the secretary of the agency was vulnerable in that respect in his lack of the big picture, lack of knowledge of the behind the scenes details. I also knew though that he was a very polished political type and on top of that is a lawyer. Finally, I suspected as is often the case with high level government or corporate officials, that the opposing lawyer might not have put this witness through the grinder in preparing uh, him for trial. I've represented litigants on both sides of the fence, and I know what it's like when you've got an important decision maker as a key witness, one so important that he or she's got the ability to replace you as counsel if he or she feels like you've roughed them up a little bit too much in getting them ready for trial. Uh, With this uh, secretary of the agency, I felt like if I had taken his deposition, all I really would have done is effectively given him a take-home exam on the things that I'd be asking at trial in front of the jury when he'd be on the spot and couldn't benefit from coaching or breaks. And he was clearly bright enough to undo whatever I might have hit him with at trial if I had given him that warm-up session in deposition. The other witness I opted not to depose, a high-ranking official within the agency, had a reputation I had heard for being a hothead. She had a limited role as well, but I felt that if I took her deposition, I would likewise be warming her up for what would be coming at trial, and she would probably also develop a pretty good feel for my style and be ready. 
So after great consideration and thought, I decided to depose only the folks that had a hands-on significant role in what happened to my client and to leave the two larger figures for trial. I had to depose the most significant actors, obviously, because I just needed a better grip on exactly what happened and what each of them had to say. But once I deposed them, the staff employees, so to speak, I had a pretty good feel for what the secretary of the agency would be coming in to say and I had an excellent feel for the personality of that other high-ranking official. As it happens, at trial, the decision paid off. The head of the agency, when asked the initial key questions, of course offered up his memorized limited conclusions exactly as I had expected. But as I dug into the surrounding circumstances, it became apparent to me and the jury that he had virtually no basis for what he was saying. He claimed knowledge of key events in an effort to appear better informed. But when pressed in front of the jury, he got that deer in the headlights look that I was hoping for. And he could not tell me or the jury where those events took place, who was present, when, nothing. As I looked over at the jury, I could see I was getting exactly the reaction I wanted. Again, that witness was also a lawyer, but my experience has been that lawyers don't always make the best witnesses. Why? because we only ever sit on one side of that table. We're very rarely witnesses ourselves, and so we very rarely experience the effects of being aggressively questioned at a fast pace under oath. I've taken the depositions of many lawyers, and I mean no disrespect when I say that sometimes they just don't hold up as well as ordinary folks. Too much knowledge about the process, too little experience in the hot seat. I got the same excellent payoff when I called the other official to the stand, the one with the reputation as a hothead. With just a little prodding, she came apart at the seams as I had expected, started mouthing off, started asking me questions back in front of the jury, began interrupting me. I actually thought the judge might intervene, but he didn't, and maybe that was for the best. That witness's behavior on the stand perfectly fit the narrative that we had constructed in opening about the workplace, so I got exactly what I needed. Uh, this case, by the way, involved a wage loss claim of just $13,000 and the agency benefited from a governmental liability cap of $200,000. So I asked for $175,000 in pain and suffering, which with the wage loss would put us very close to the $200,000 cap. As it happens, the jury gave me the $13,000 of wage losses and added on its own another $75,000 to make the total pain and suffering award $250,000 and the total verdict 268,000. Now I'm not going to get all of that uh, because of that $200,000 liability cap. Once the judgments entered on the verdict and this verdict was rendered about three days ago, uh, the judge will reduce or remit the verdict down to the liability cap. But that the fact that the jury added another 75,000 on top of what I asked for will give you a sense for how the jury reacted to the testimony. Now, there were other witnesses that were also key to the outcome, but the behavior of the two that I didn't depose on the stand in front of the jury, I think was either icing on the cake or tipped the balance in our favor. There's just no way I would have gotten the same kind of raw, unrehearsed answers if I had taken their depositions and walked them through much of the examination that would mirror what I would be asking them at trial. Just no way. So here's the takeaway. If you have important witnesses that are likely to do a good job of giving the jury the headlines anyway, but aren't likely to know the rest of the story, don't be shy about evaluating 
whether you're better served by hitting them first at trial in front of the jury and skipping their depositions. While depositions can do many good things, they can also do some things that work against your interests, which is to allow witnesses and the opposing lawyer to learn what kind of pitches you're going to be throwing. Any batter will do well if they know what the pitches are coming at them in advance. So here's a few practical tips before we wrap up on passing on depositions of certain witnesses. Okay, so witnesses you might consider passing on could include the following. One, high level, and I mean very high level managers or professionals who are not accustomed to having their opinions questioned by anybody or who are not accustomed to having others challenge them. And that can include lawyers, judges, doctors, CPAs, elected officials, and business founders. Second category, witnesses that are surrounded by others who likely agree with everything they say, because those folks can make very poor witnesses in a trial when they're challenged for the first time in who knows how long. Third category, witnesses that you know have uncontrollable tempers, and I mean truly uncontrollable. Fourth category, Witnesses with important but very limited roles, such that they are not likely to ever have had a complete portrait of events and are likely to be able to speak about nothing more than pure conclusions, the bottom line headlines. And finally, witnesses whose answers you feel you are certain to know, such that there is truly very little benefit from taking their deposition in advance. Now, I understand that you may have folks behind you, beside you, or above you insurers, clients, senior partners, who might question your decision to pass on the deposition of key witnesses. But remember, as I've said in other episodes, depositions aren't even allowed in federal criminal cases at all, unless a judge for some reason allows it, and they don't most of the time. And depositions weren't even allowed in federal civil cases, I think, until the 1930s or 1940s. I mentioned that in a prior episode. So it just isn't always necessary to question witnesses before trial, and sometimes it can be a real disadvantage. To some extent, depending on how you craft your examination, you are literally handing each deponent a script for what's going to be asked at trial, and that can give the tough ones a significant advantage over you. They'll be ready. So consider that, whether you want to hand them that script ahead of time, or whether you feel like you've got the right circumstances to go after that witness on the witness stand for the first time in front of the jury. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to give us five-star rating wherever you get your podcast and be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice.